Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in. This is Smoke News Radio, and I'm your host, Jason Isaac Huffbrodsky, and here's the news as I see fit. Coming from the blacklisted news, Britain's Great Firewall blocks access to official Disney sites, internet safety guides, VPN, and coding sites for kids. In the decades since the UK rolled out its Great Firewall, the project of somehow divided the entire Internet into good and bad, and even all ages and adult, has run into a series of embarrassing gaps, blocking rape crisis sites while letting through all sorts of ghastly porn, and at every turn, the conservative government's response has been to double down on the Internet censorship, expanding it from a parental filter to an opt-out porn filter whose biggest backers have repeatedly demonstrated their technical incompetence. It's not surprising that the latest voices clamoring for an accurate and comprehensive list of the world's adult-only material are also technological incompetence. The UK porn firewall is a classic example of the nerd harder school of technology policymaking in which a politician insists that the reason that all the experts have their plans unworkable is that they're just not hurting hard enough. Torrent Freak has used the blocked initiative from the UK Opens Right Group to probe the harmful content blacklisted that UK ISPs are using to keep UK children safe. Unsurprisingly, the list is full of embarrassing false positives, including Disney.co.uk, the official UK site of the Walt Disney Company, as well as Disney's DisneyMoviesAnywhere.com. More awkwardly, the UK's largest ISP, go on back over here, UK's largest ISPs are blocking InternetSafetyDay.org, a website that teaches kids to use internet safety. Also blocked is KidsInCode.org, which teaches children to write software. The list goes on and on. PlayKidsGame.com, Vikings Word, uh, VPN providers, whose tools elect the, u- the users to evade privacy-violating trackers and filters. You can use the blocked initiative to check whether your favorite site are blocked by your UK ISP. The California Bill 162 awaits appropriations would restrict cannabis merchandising. Sacramento. California Senate Bill 162 on Thursday was placed in suspense awaiting review by the California State Assembly Appropriations Committee. If passed through by the appropriations, the bill would then go on to be voted on in the House. SB 162, authored by State Senator Ben Allen, District 26D, would restrict cannabis industry advertising and marketing of potential merchandise according to the bill's language. A licensee shall not advertise medical cannabis or medical cannabis products through the use of branded merchandise, including but not limited to clothing, hats, or other merchandise with the name or logo of the product. The bill also prohibits billboard advertising, misleading advertising, and any cannabis advertising within 1,000 feet of a daycare, grade school, playground, or youth center. 
SB 162 prohibits advertising marketed to children or minors, which bill proponents have stated is their primary concern while drawing parallels between similar regulations placed on tobacco and liquor advertising. There's a reason why all of a sudden we should put less restrictions on this product, marijuana versus a product that we've regulated tobacco for a long time, but that has been legal, Senator Allen told the recorder. In an interview for the same post, Evoke Law Associate Nicole Seistek said, we are in no way trying to facilitate the access of minors to marijuana. We, we would just like regulations that make sense. The way that they've done this doesn't make any sense for the industry. Points on which the bill is unclear, according to Evoke, including whether or not cannabis-related promotional merchandise, i.e. vape pens, grinders, rolling papers, etc., would be banned despite being readily available to the public or minors, as well as whether third-party vendors could sell their cannabis-branded merchandise under a licensing agreement. As California's countdown to legal adult use ticks closer to January 2018, lawmakers have introduced close to 50 bills related to cannabis industry regulation, SB 162. Some others include SB 175 would prohibit misleading marketing and advertising, specifically misstating the country or the county of Oregon, origin where the cannabis was grown. Assembly Bill 702 would make it chargeable offense if arrested for driving under the influence of cannabis to refuse a chemical test. AB 420 would amend personal income tax law to allow cannabis businesses to deduct offenses in nonconformity with federal laws, which prohibit this for businesses that traffic in controlled substances. Advertising Specialty Institute's blog also pointed out that existing California law also prohibits cannabis advertising to appear on broadcast, cable, radio, print, and digital communications where less than 71.6% of the audience can be expected to be 21 years old, similar to other adult-use-only products. Okay, and then uh, this is from the legislature of California. AB 1627, Adult Use Marijuana Use Act, testing laboratories, people state of California, put forward that the owner owners of proposed licensees, owner means all persons having an aggregate ownership interest other than a security interest, lien or encumbrance of 20% or more of the licensee and the power direct or cause to be directed management control of the licensee. Chief Executive Officer, the Bureau means the Bureau of Marijuana Control within the Department of Consumer Affairs. Child resistance, commercial marijuana activity includes cultivation, possession, manufacture, distribution, processing, storing, laboratory testing, labeling, transportation, distribution, delivery, or sale of marijuana and marijuana products as provided for in this division. Cultivation means any activity 
involving the planting, growing, harvesting, drying, curing, grading, or trimming of marijuana. Customer means a natural person 21 years of age or over. Daycare centers shall have the same meaning with the Health and Safety Code, 159676. Delivery means a commercial transfer of marijuana or marijuana products to a customer. Delivery also includes the use by a retailer, knowledge platform, owned and controlled by the retailer or independently licensed under this division that enables customers to arrange for or facilitate the commercial transfer by a licensed retailer of marijuana or marijuana products. Director means the director of the Department of Consumer Affairs. Distribution means the procurement, sale, and transport of marijuana and marijuana products between entities licensed pursuant to this division. Fund means the Marijuana Control Fund established pursuant to Section 26.210. Kind means applicable type or designation regarding a particular marijuana variant or marijuana product type, including but not limited to strain name or other grower trademark or growing area designation. License means a state license issued under this division. Licensee means a person or entity holding a license under this division. Licensing authority means a state agency responsible for the issuance, renewal, and reinstatement of the license or the state agency authorized disciplinary action against the licensee. Local jurisdiction means a county, city, or city and county. Manufacture means to compound, blend, extract, infuse, or otherwise make or prepare a marijuana product. Manufacture means a person that conducts the production, preparation, propagation, or compounding of marijuana or marijuana products either directly or indirectly or by extraction methods or independently by means of chemical synthesis or by a combination of extraction and chemical synthesis at a fixed location that packages or repackages marijuana or marijuana products or labels or relabels its container that holds a license pursuant to this division. Marijuana has the same meaning as Section 11018 Health and Safety Code, except that it does not include marijuana that is cultivated, transported, distributed, or sold for medical purposes under Chapter 3.5, commencing Section 19300 of Division 8. Marijuana accessories have the same meaning as Section 11018.2 of the Health and Safety. Marijuana products have the same meaning as in Section 11018.1 of the Health and Safety Code, except that it does not include marijuana products manufactured, processed, transported, distributed, or sold for medical purposes 
under Chapter 315, commencing with Section 19300 of Division 8. Nursery means a licensee that produces only clones, immature plants, seeds, and other agricultural products used specifically for the planting, propagation, and cultivation of marijuana. Operation means an act for which licensure is required under provisions of this division or any commercial transfer of marijuana or marijuana products. Package means a container or receptacle used for holding marijuana or marijuana products. Person includes an individual, firm, corporation, joint venture, association, corporation, limited liability company, estate, trust, business trust, receiver, syndicate, or any other group or combination acting as a unit and the plural as well as the singular. Purchaser means a customer who is engaged in a transaction with the licensee for purposes of obtaining marijuana or marijuana products, a sell, sale, or to sell, including any transaction whereby for any consideration title to marijuana is transferred from one person to another and includes the delivery of marijuana or marijuana products pursuant to an order placed for the purchase of the same and soliciting or receiving an order for the same but does not include the return of marijuana or marijuana products by licensee or to the licensee from whom that marijuana or marijuana product was purchased. Testing service means a laboratory, facility, or entity in the state that offers or performs tests of marijuana or marijuana products, including the equipment provided by that laboratory, facility, or entity that is both of the following, accredited by an accrediting body that is independent from all other persons involved in commercial marijuana activity in the state registered with the Bureau of Marijuana Control. Unique identifier means an alphanumeric code or designation used for reference to a specific plant on a licensed premises. Unreasonably impracticable means that the measures necessary to comply with the regulations require such a high investment of risk, money, time, or any other resource or asset that the operation of a marijuana establishment is not worthy of being carried out in practice by a reasonably prudent business person unreasonably impracticable. Youth Center shall have the same meaning as in Section 11353.1 of the Health Safety Code. It being a matter of statewide concern except as otherwise authorized in this division, the Department of Consumer Affairs shall have the exclusive authority to create, issue, renew, discipline, suspend, or revoke licenses for the transportation, storage, unrelated to manufacturing activities, distribution, testing, and sale of marijuana within the state. 
the Department of Food and Agriculture shall administer the provisions of this division related to and associated with the cultivation of marijuana. The Department of Food and Agriculture shall have the authority to create, issue, and suspend or revoke cultivation licenses for violations of this division. The State Department of Public Health shall administer the provisions of this division related to and associated with the manufacture of marijuana. The State Department of Public Health shall have the authority to create, issue, and suspend or revoke manufacturing licenses for violations of this division. The licensing authorities and the Bureau shall have the authority to collect fees in connection with activities they regulate concerning marijuana. The Bureau may create licenses in addition to those identified in this division that the Bureau deems necessary to effectuate its duties under this division. Licensing authorities shall begin issuing licenses under this division by January 1, 2018. Right. Section 26100 of the Business Professions Code is amended to read, the State Department of Public Health shall promulgate regulations governing the licensing of marijuana manufacturers. Licenses to be issued are as follows. Manufacturing Level 1 for sites that manufacture marijuana products using non-volatile solvents or no solvents. Manufacturing Level 2 for sites that manufacture marijuana products using volatile solvents. The Bureau of Marijuana Control shall promulgate, promulgate regulations governing the licensing of marijuana testing laboratories as follows. Testing, for testing of marijuana and marijuana products, testing licensees shall have their facilities or devices licensed according to regulations set forth by the Bureau. A testing licensee shall not hold a license in another license category of this division and shall not own or have ownership interest in a non-testing facility licensed pursuant to this division. For purposes of this section, volatile sub solvents shall have the same meaning as in subsection 11362.3 of the Health and Safety unless otherwise provided by law or regulation. Section 26100 of the Bureau Professional Code amended to read, except as otherwise provided by law, no marijuana or marijuana products may be sold pursuant to a license provided for under this division, unless a representative sample of that marijuana or marijuana product has been tested by a certified testing service to determine whether the chemical profile of the sample conforms to the labeled content of the compounds, including, but not limited to, all the following, tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, tetrahydrocannabinolic acid, THCA, cannabinol, CBD, Cannabidiolic acid, DDA, the terpenes described in the most current version of the cannabis inflorescence monograph published by the American Herbal Pharmacopoeia. Cannabigerol, CBG, cannabinol, CBN. 
The presence of contaminants does not exceed the levels of the most current version of the American Health Pharmacopoeia monograph. The purposes of this paragraph, contaminants include, but are not limited to, all of the following. Residual solvent or processing chemicals including explosive gases such as butane, propane, O2, or H2, and poisons, toxins, or carcinogens such as methanol, isopropyl alcohol, methylene chloride, acetone, benzene, tuline, and trichloroethylene. Foreign material including, but not limited to, hair, insects, or similar, or related adulterant. Microbiological impurity, including total aerobic microbial count, total yeast mold count, P. arginosa asparagius, SPP aureus, aflatoxin, B1, B2, G1, and G2, or oxtroctoxin A. Residual levels of a volatile organic compound shall satisfy standards of the cannabis inflorescence monograph set by the United States Pharmacopoeia, USP Chapter 467. The testing required by a paragraph shall be performed in a manner consistent with general requirements for the competence of testing and calibrations. Activities including sampling using standard methods established by the internal organization for the standardization, specifically ISO IEC 17020 and ISO IEC 17025, to test marijuana and marijuana products that are approved for by an accrediting body that is in a signatory to the International Laboratory Accreditation Cooperation Mutual Recognition Agreement. Any pre-sale inspection, testing, transfer, transportation of marijuana products pursuant to this section shall conform to the specified chain of custody protocol and any other requirements imposed under this division. The State of Department of Public Health and Department of Pesticide Regulation shall provide assistance to the Bureau in developing regulations as requested by the Bureau. A licensed testing service shall, in performing activities concerning marijuana and marijuana products, comply with the requirements and restrictions set forth in applicable law and regulations. The Bureau of Marijuana Control shall develop procedures to do all of the following. Ensure that testing of marijuana and marijuana products occurs prior to the distribution to retailers, micro-businesses, or nonprofits licensed under Section 26070.5. Specify how often licensees shall test marijuana and marijuana products and that the cost of testing marijuana shall be borne by the licensed cultivators and the cost of testing marijuana products shall be borne by the licensed manufacturer and the cost of testing marijuana and marijuana products shall be borne by a nonprofit license under Section 26075.5. Require destruction of harvested batches 
whose testing samples indicate non-compliance with health and safety standards promulgated by the Bureau unless remedial measures can bring the marijuana or marijuana products into compliance with quality assurance standards as promulgated by the Bureau. The legislature finds and declares that this bill implements Section 6.1 of the Control, Regulate, and Tax Adult Use of Marijuana Act, and that it is consistent with and furthers the purpose of the act as stated in Section 3. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That is obviously an addendum to them filling in the pieces. There's like 110 references to marijuana if you search all the bills. Different bills. All right. Venezuela takes charge of big banks, arrests 11 executives. Coming out from the Associated Press, Caracas, Venezuela. Venezuela arrested 11 top officials from the country's largest private bank and announced that the state would intervene in the institution's activities at least temporarily to clean up purported illicit activity, officials said Thursday. It was not clear whether the 90-day intervention would be a first step toward a full takeover of UNESCO. It's the second round of arrests recently at a private interest following the detention of two Chevron employees. Attorney General Tarek William Saab, in a state TV broadcast, announced that the Bonesco executives had been detained following the surgical probe uncovering irregularities that devalued Venezuela's flagging currency. Critics of President Nicolas Maduro's socialist government point to the administrator's own missteps for the country's spiraling quadruple-digit inflation making common goods too expensive for most residents. Hours after the arrest, the government released a statement announcing its intervention into Bonesco, aimed at the redirection its administration and purging the bank while... (laughs) Bonesco aimed at redirecting its administration and purging the bank while putting a deputy finance minister at its helms. Officials have previously accused criminal networks of smuggling Venezuelan bolivars across the border to manipulate the black market exchange rate. Investigators said they linked the large number of suspect Bonesco accounts with addresses in Colombia and Panama. Bonesco's executive producer, Oscar Doval Garcia, was among those arrested. Juan Carlos Escotet, President of Bonesco International denounced the government action as disappropriate from a meeting in Portugal. He was not among those detained and said he was planning his immediate return to Venezuela. I will go to Venezuela with peace of mind to support my colleague, he said on Twitter, according to his bank follows all regulations. I put myself at the service of the government with the confidence that everything will be clarified. The arrests are part of an operation that took down an alleged international network accused of manipulating the black market exchange rate, which values $1 at more than 10 times Venezuela's official exchange rate. The operation has netted 134 arrests and led to 1,300 
80 frozen bank accounts, the majority belonging to Bonesco. The bank executive's detention follows the arrest in April of two Chevron Corp employees based in Venezuela in what appear to be the first such detentions of private oil company workers amid a growing anti-corruption purge. Go Venezuela. Smoke News Radio. Tech giant HP enters cannabis space with compliance leader Flowhub, offering a new model of security and compliance to marijuana dispensaries throughout North America is Flowhub, the Denver-based business, who announced on Wednesday a deal to marry their cannabis compliance software with global tech giant HP's elite POS retail point-of-sale terminal. More than just a digital cash register, Flowhub's software leverages HP's retail-hardened elite POS to help dispensary owners in highly regulated states automate reports, bringing much-needed stability to the seed-to-sale space. Praising their partner, Kyle Sherman, CEO of Flowhub, recognized HP's innovation in the hardware world. Retailers in this industry are bombarded with hobbyist software solutions with the consumer hardware choices that cause compliance and operation headaches. Flowhub is excited to offer professional retail standard solutions that you'd find in other industries, he continued, with their metric integrated compliance and business management platform. Flowhub helps marijuana dispensaries owners navigate state regulatory agencies and the minefields that can follow. Reports which are automatically sent through the metric API now work with the HP POS hardware systems. The largest amount of friction in the cannabis industry today is the lack of understanding around compliance for dispensaries. Sherman said in an interview with Cannabis, I think this will simplify the decision-making process for them. The agreement is HP's first foray into the marijuana industry, so the deal is part of a larger trend of mainstream companies entering the cannabis sector. The most well-known company to do so, arguably, has been Scott's miracle Grow, the family-friendly weed and feed business built off the back of big-box stores such as Lowe's and Home Depot. Recent numbers suggest Scott is earning upwards of $250 million annually in the cannabis space. HP is delighted to have our elite POS point-of-sale system selected by Flowhub for this comprehensive solution targeted to the growing cannabis industry remarked Aaron Weiss, HP's Vice President and General Manager for Retail Solutions. In a statement, Flowhub is one of the original metric-approved vendors with years of compliance experience, and HP is delighted to be a key part of the solution in this exciting new regulated industry. Both new and existing Flowhub customers can purchase HP Retail hardware, receive three years on-site, next business day limited warranty, Flowhub.co slash HP. Thank you. You're listening to Smoke News Radio. Vermont Senate rejects proposal for roadside marijuana testing. A Vermont committee has rejected a bill that would have allowed police to use a roadside saliva test to detect marijuana. The State Judiciary Committee rejected the bill Wednesday by a vote of 4-1. to 
The Burlington Free Press reports the State House of Representatives previously endorsed the bill in March. The bill would have authorized police to screen for the presence of cannabis and other substances using a saliva sample rather than a blood sample, which requires a warrant. Republican Senator Joe Benning, a member of the Judiciary Committee, says the test would have been inherently unfair because there would be no numerical threshold to determine marijuana intoxication, like blood alcohol content. Smoke News Radio. Synthetic marijuana contaminated with rat poison has killed a fourth person in Illinois. A woman in her 30s died in Illinois as a result of smoking synthetic marijuana, the state's public health department announced on Tuesday. The death is a fourth report in Illinois since March 7th. More than 100 people in the, 150 people in the state have reported health problems after taking the drug, most in Chicago, Peoria County, and Tazewell County. According to Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, cases have been reported in Indiana, Maryland, Missouri, and Wisconsin. If you have purchased any of this product, example, K2 or synthetic marijuana, not like Marinol, but that synthetic stuff, it says it's synthetic marijuana. Since March 1, 2018, do not use it. The agency's website states these products may be solids that have been shredded or come in a liquid form. According to a statement from the Illinois Department of Public Health, a specific chemical called bradycum, right, may cause the bleeding that can kill people who use the tainted synthetic cannabinoids. The chemical prevents people's blood from clotting properly. Even without the rat poison, synthetic marijuana tends to carry serious side effects, including strokes, seizures, and hallucinations. More than 400 people went to the hospital after taking synthetic cannabinoids between January 2010 and November 2015, according to CDC data. Nearly a third of those cases involved teenagers and mostly involved men. One of the 17-year-old boys' heart stopped after an alleged very small dose. Smoking the Spice. On Monday, the state's public health department announced it would receive nearly 1 million donated tablets of vitamin K, which would be used to treat people with bleeding resulting from synthetic cannabinoid use. According to a statement made by public health departments, these individuals will need to take up to 30 tablets a day for up to six months, which could cost several thousands of dollars. This donation will allow every individual who has experienced severe bleeding as well as any future cases to receive life-saving treatment free of charge. This is Smoke Rules Radio. (laughs) Smoke News Radio. There we go. The Spice of Death, the Science Between Tainted Synthetic Marijuana. Experts describe how rat poison linked to a recent bleeding outbreak does its damage. Synthetic marijuana, or K2, three people have died and more than 100 have been sick in the past few weeks after taking synthetic cannabinoids, human-made compounds that target the same receptors as marijuana. Symptoms documented by poison centers, first mostly in the Midwest, now in Maryland, include unexplained bruising, coughing up blood, bleeding from the nose, and gums blood and urine and feces, and excessively heavy menstruation. An ongoing investigation has identified a likely culprit in the blood of those affected. 
rat poison, specifically bradifacum, commonly sold in hardware stores, is a dangerous anticoagulant that can also cause brain damage. There are the first known instances of rat poison being found in synthetic cannabinoids. And how the toxin got there is unknown. Douglas Feinstein, a neuroscientist and Bradifacum expert, developing new antidotes to this substance at the University of Illinois in Chicago, says the symptoms in these cases indicate high levels of exposure. That makes accidental contamination unlikely, he says, and suggests the poison may have been introduced deliberately. We don't know how the exact high doses people are getting, but it's a lot, says Feinstein, who is hoping to analyze blood samples from those affected. It could have been added intentionally to prolong the high. That may seem like the stuff of urban legends, but Feinstein cites previous case studies reported in the scientific literature of drug users deliberately ingesting rat poisons to stay high longer when taking marijuana or cocaine. The toxin ties up the liver enzymes and metabolizes drugs, extending their effects. Feinstein, who, whose work in, is funded by the National Institutes of Neurological Disorders and Stroke's Counteract Program, tasked with developing countermeasures against chemical threats, added that malicious intent cannot be ruled out. He also speculated that the drugs themselves could have exacerbated the poisoning if they dilated blood vessels. Little is known about what synthetic cannabinoids themselves do to the body. Many of these compounds were developed experimentally in the 1980s by scientists studying the brain and trying to develop new analgesics. The ones now found in the U.S. are often made in China and can be purchased online. Known by a wide variety of names, Vice and K2, they're typically sprayed on various herbs and sold as a smoking mixture sometimes labeled as incense. Authorities have arrested a convenience store owner in Chicago for allegedly selling some of the contaminated material linked to the current poisoning outbreak. Bruce Anderson, executive director of the Maryland Poison Center, says he was told the poison Maryland resident purchased that product that made them ill at a local store. He warns that these substances are poorly understood and can be perilous even when not tainted. New cases comprise the latest chapter in an ongoing public health crisis. As people increasingly chase a buzz from numerous chemicals developed for scientific research and readily available on the Internet or dark web. None of these products have ever been tested on humans, Anderson notes. Using them is spectacularly a bad idea. Typically cheap and invisible to traditional drug screens, synthetic cannabinoids have been especially popular among poor and incarcerated. A 2014 study flagged these chemicals as a popular drug of choice among military personnel dealing with substance abuse. Poison control centers receive thousands of calls about synthetic cannabinoids every year, and they usually have nothing to do with rat poison. Emergency room doctors have documented a confusing array of problems among users, seizures, strokes, brain bleeding, and heart attacks. In 2016, several dozen New Yorkers wound up in hospitals unresponsive to the outside world after reportedly using these drugs. Earlier this year, dozens of U.S. soldiers and Marines were hospitalized after allegedly vaping synthetic cannabinoid oil. 
side effect profile of these compounds is unknown, says William Bergen, neurologist and professor at the University of the bag of nightmares for those dealing with patients on the front line. Tetrahydrocannabinol, the main psychoactive ingredient in cannabis, binds to the cannabinoid receptors in the brain and body rather weakly, Bergen says, but some molecules in the synthetic chemicals hold on with an iron grip. They can be hundreds of times more potent than natural pot. Their chemical structures bear little resemblance to THC, and that is part of what makes them difficult to regulate. In 2011, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency banned five of the earliest such compounds to hit the street. In 2012, Congress passed the Synthetic Drug Abuse Prevention Act, outlined 15 chemicals. Makers responded with creative chemistry, crafting out molecules that have similar effects and thus staying one step ahead of the law, says Jeff LaPointe, director of the Division of Medical Toxicology at Kaiser Permanente's San Diego Medical Center. The exact formula in these drugs recently found to be tainted with rat poison remains unclear. It's like a game of whack-a-mole. Make one thing illegal and the next week something new pops up, Lamont says. Authorities at the state level are also trying to crack down on this. It's happening in a piecemeal fashion. And varies from state, says Stephanie Jones. Director of Audience Development at the Drug Policy Alliance, a nonprofit organization that advocates for drug law reform. The point says he has purchased packets of these drugs and analyzed their contents. The compounds he found within very widely, wildly, and he says those who choose to use them can never really have any idea what they might be putting in their bodies. It's like playing Russian roulette, he says. You don't know what you're getting and how much you're getting or what these chemicals will do, right? Another fun thing out there, Smoke News Radio, half a million pacemakers need a security patch. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration last month approved a firmware patch for pacemakers made by Abbott's, formerly St. Jude Medical, that are vulnerable to cybersecurity attacks and which are at risk of sudden battery loss. Some 465,000 patients are affected. The FDA is recommending that all eligible patients get the firmware update at their next regularly scheduled visit or when appropriate, depending on their preferences of the patient and physician. Pacemakers are small devices used to help treat irregular heartbeats. The cybersecurity vulnerabilities were found in Abbott's radio frequency, RF-enabled implantable cardioverter defibrillators, ICDS, and the cardiac resynchronization therapy defibrillators, CRTDs. The issue with St. Jude's medical devices has been playing out for a while. In September 2016, the company sued Internet of Things security for MedSec for defamation after it published what St. Jude said was bogus information about bugs in its equipment. In January 2017, five months after the FDA and Department of Homeland Security, DHS, launched probes and claims that St. Jude's medical pacemakers and cardiac monitor technology were vulnerable to potentially life-threatening hacks, 
Security consultants at Bishop Fox confirmed the validity of MedSec's findings. The company begrudgingly stopped fighting and litigation and issued security fixes. The January updates were the Merlin remote monitoring system, which is used with implantable pacemakers and defibrillator devices. At the time, cryptographic expert Matthew Green, an assistant professor at Johns Hopkins University, described the pacemaker vulnerability scenario as the fuel of nightmares. He also put a series of tweets on the matter, including these messages. The summary of the problem is that the critical command, shocks, device, firmware updates, etc., should only come from the hospital programmer. Unfortunately, SJM didn't use strong authentication. Results any device that knows the protocol, including home devices, can send these. In worse, they can send these potentially dangerous commands via RF from a distance, leaving no trace. Specifically, the devices use 24-bit RSA authentication, he said. No, that's not a typo. Beyond a weak authentication, St. Jude also included a hard-coded 3-byte fixed override code. Green said. To date, there have been no known reports of patients being harmed due to security vulnerabilities in the Merlin system or in the ICDs, CRTDs, covered in the most recent security advisory. Here's a list of those devices. Current, uh, the, the current device, Promote, Fortify, Fortify Shura, Quadra Shura, Quadra Shura MP, Unify, Unify Shura, Unify Quadra, Promote Quadra, Ellipse. Go get your checkup, guys, <laughs> if you got those things. Fortunately, the update doesn't entail open-heart surgery, though it does require an in-person trip to a healthcare provider office. It can be done from home via MerlinNet. The firmware update, which takes three minutes during which the pacemaker will operate in backup mode, pacing at 67 beats per minute. Abbott said that within any firmware update, there's always a very low risk of an update glitch, Based on the company's Previous firmware update experience from August 2017, pacemaker firmware release and the similarities in the update process, Abbott said that installing the updated firmware on the ICDs and CRTDs would potentially result in the following malfunctions. Discomfort due to backup uh, VVI pacing settings, reloading of the previous firmware version due to an incomplete update, inability to treat ventricular tachycardia fibrillation while in backup mode, device remaining in backup mode due to an unsuccessful update, loss of currently programmed device settings or diagnostic data. The FDA said that nothing bad happened to patients in August 2017 firmware update. About 0.62% of the devices experienced an incomplete update and remained in backup pacing mode. But in all those cases, devices were restored to the prior firmware version or received the update successfully after technical services intervened. FDA says that an update to the programmer should reduce the frequency of the minor update issues. Also, a small percentage, 0.14, of patients complained of diaphragmatic or pocket simulation or general discomfort for the time that the device was in backup pacing mode. There haven't been any cases reported to Abbott where the device remained in backup mode. All right, get that stuff going. Smoke News Radio. Chinese mafia caught growing black market cannabis throughout California. 
The Chinese mafia is allegedly growing marijuana in California homes to sell on the black market. A two-day operation that concluded on the 4th of April resulted in over 100 homes throughout the state being seized by the Department of Justice. The homes seized are being used by the Chinese drug traffickers to grow substantial quantities of marijuana that they would sell on the black market. Over 61,000 cannabis plants were seized during operations among the 400 pounds of processed cannabis and 15 firearms. Most of the cannabis is being sold by Chinese drug traffickers on the black market on the east coast of the United States. Law enforcement hopes that this crackdown sends a message to foreigners who would enter the United States to engage in illegal drug trafficking operations. The scope of this enforcement sends a clear message to the International Organization of Crime. Get out of our neighborhoods. If you don't, we'll pursue you with all the resources available to the federal government. Seize your assets, search your properties, and target you for criminal prosecution, said McGregor Scott, Attorney General for the Eastern District of California. The Chinese drug traffickers that were being targeted for this operation have been investigated since 2014, according to KTOA. The investigation was a joint effort between federal and local enforcement agencies. Attorney General of the United States Jeff Sessions was quoted on the video saying that his priority in this case was not the cannabis, but the dismantling of foreign criminal organizations operating within the United States. All right. Yeah, you got some smoke sessions. That guy's doing some things. All right, let's get some more detail on Smoke News Radio. U.S. authorities seize 100 Chinese mafia cannabis grow ops. Organized crime and corruption reporting project. The authorities have seized 100 suburban homes in Northern California that were allegedly used by the Chinese mafia to grow cannabis for black market distribution on the East Coast, Times reported on Monday. The two-day operation last week was one of the largest residential forfeiture efforts in the nation's history and resulted in the confiscation of 61,000 plants. Over 400 pounds of processed cannabis, 15 firearms. Authorities also searched 74 more properties in the Sacramento area. This was a large-scale operation with the millions of dollars coming into the U.S. from China. The criminal organization used foreign money to purchase homes and turn them into marijuana and turn these into marijuana grow houses, all at the cost of innocent neighborhoods, she said. Federal and local law enforcement agencies have been investigating grow operations throughout Sacramento's suburbs since 2014. Down payments for the houses were mainly wired from China's Fujian province. Straw buyers purchased the homes with money that was channeled through hard money lenders rather than traditional banks. The houses had high electricity usage because of the high wattage lighting, fans, and other grow equipment. The installations, which usually took up most, if not all, of the homes, often led to houses damaged and uninhabitable. 
The scope of this enforcement sends a clear message to the international organization crime. Get out to the neighborhoods. All right. Okay, cool. Just say, say, sometimes like another news thing has a little more, but it doesn't. All right, fourth-generation Android espionage campaign targets the Middle East. A newly uncovered form of sophisticated Android malware is being distributed via compromised websites and Telegram channels, apparently with cyber espionage in mind. The malware has a wide range of abilities and is capable of snooping on any activity carried out on an infected smartphone and is said to bear the hallmarks of a state-backed campaign. It can steal information about contacts, call logs, pictures, messages, and browser data, as well as making audio records of calls made using the phone and silently making calls and executing shell commands. The malware contains a key logging function, which allows attackers to steal sensitive information, such as usernames and passwords, as well as the ability to capture photos and screenshots. Uncovered by researchers at security company Kaspersky Lab and Dub Zoo Park, it's thought the cyber espionage campaign has been ongoing since at least June 2015, with a focus on targets in the Middle East, including Egypt, Jordan, and Lebanon. How the malware has evolved. Despite the long-running nature of the campaign, there haven't been a wide number of infections, because targets appear to be specifically selected and the operation behind the attacks can put the time and effort into conducting campaigns. With our detection statistics, we observed less than 100 tar targets. This and other clues indicate that the targets are specifically selected, security expert at the Kapersky Lab told ZDNet. The campaign is very targeted, which made the malware very changing for researchers to discover. Challenging. The group obviously had a large background in offensive security operations, and a lot of resources. Those behind the campaign have infected targets with several generations of malware over the years, with the fourth and latest version the most advanced version of the malicious payload. In addition to being able to exfiltrate data from default applications on the device, the latest incantation targets messaging applications such as Telegram, WhatsApp, and the Chrome web browser with attacks which can steal internal databases. In the case of the web browser, this means any credentials stored, it would be stolen. Earlier versions of ZooPark relied on distribution via Telegram channels. In ability to see attackers compromise legitimate websites in the effort to distribute the espionage tools. Kaspersky Lab hasn't confirmed who is behind the campaign other than Zoopark shares the sophisticated hallmark of a nation-state-backed campaign, one which in this instance targets activists, not another state. More and more people use their mobile devices as a primary or sometimes even only communication device. This is certainly being spotted by nation-state actors who are building their tool sets so they will be efficient enough to mobile users. The ZooPark APT actively spying on targets in Middle East countries is one such example, but it is certainly not the only one. 
There's no indication that this particular cyber espionage campaign has ceased operation. Smoke News Radio, tackling the menace. Kulu women join war against drug mafia. The move came after the Kulua police launched a drive, Sibahagati Akapi Ur Humari, in February this year, to motivate women and youth to fight the increasing drug menace in the district, which is known world over for cannabis cultivation. Kulu SP Shalani Agnoti, <clears throat> addressing women during the meeting on the Sibahagati Akapi Umari Initiative in Kulu, HT file. Rural women in Himachal have joined a long-drawn war against the drug mafia active in the region for over the last three decades. Kulu District's Diyar Panchat has decided to impose RS-1000 fine on persons caught consuming liquor and drugs in public places. For years, we have been telling the police to take steps to check the burgeoning drug and liquor trade. But time has come that we take initiative on our own. We have passed a resolution in this Gram Sabaha to impose the fine on each person found involved in drug or liquor trade businesses, those found drinking in public places, said Manoritari Dinar Panchat Prandan. We are encouraging the nearby Panchats to join the initiative, she said. The move came after Kulu police launched a drive to Argat. Arupur Hamari in February this year to motivate women and youth to fight the increasing drug menace. The district, which is known world over for cannabis cultivation. DR Panchayats passes resolutions imposing 1,000 fine on persons found involved in drug trade. A growing problem. The drug trade in Kulu district alone is estimated R's core annually. The burgeoning drug menace in the district has been a cause of concern for successive governments, but they have failed to chalk out an effective strategy to contain drug cartels that have been active in the region for the past three decades. Traditionally, the villagers in Kulu used hemp fiber to make basket ropes and slippers and were sold on the market. However, foreigners visiting the landlocked villages in the late 70s taught villagers to rub Traka's plant to extract intoxicating resin. Villagers then took up the drug trade to turn their fortune. Locals cultivate hybrid seeds of marijuana brought by foreigners. The high hybrid varieties are sold under different brands such as Skunk, Red Hair, Turbo Diesel, Early Girl, White Widow, Flower Power, Morning California, Hay Skunks, and AK-47. Besides the marginal villages of Kulu, the menace has spread to other parts of the state, including Chular Valley of Mandi District, Tisu of Chamba, and Barabanga Al of Kangra, where people have abandoned cultivation of other crops. The cost of cannabis, which is produced locally, is anywhere between Rs. 50,000 and Rs. 60,000 per kilogram, depending upon quality of the sherbets extracted from the plants. High hopes from the initiative. Started by Kulu Superintendent of Police, Shengar Ono, the campaign aimed to encourage women and youth to tackle the menace of drug peddlers and cartels. Police had written letters asking the Mahali, Mandals, and volunteers of 
Nehru Yarva, Kendra, to join them in the war against drugs. There's a target involving all the 3,500 Nehru Yarva Kendras and Mahiri Mandas to join so far. The results are encouraging. The women have started to come forward. Angadi said the rural women in the valley now also play the role of police informer as they appraise the cops of illegal drug trade. Smoke News Radio. UK drones firing organ-destroying vacuum bombs on the rise in Syria. Uh, Oil request reveals an unarmed Q9 drone. The UK is indiscriminately using thermal barrack missiles as part of its ongoing war in Syria. The Freedom of Information Act has revealed the Ministry of Defense, MOD, admitted for the first time using thermal barrack weapons during strikes carried out by Royal Air Force MQ-9 Reaper drones during missions in January and February in response to the FOI request anti-war campaign group Drone Wars UK. Thermal barrack weapons, known colloquially as vacuum bombs, differ from conventional musicians, which cause damage by shredding shrapnel. As they create a high-temperature explosion with an extremely powerful blast radius, pressure created causes severe internal damage to the organs of people caught in the blast radius. According to the Drone Wars, the request saw officials give a breakdown of the type of Hellfire missiles used, stating that 19 AGM-114 and 44 AGM-114R2s had been used. The end version of the missile uses a metal augmented charge warhead that contains a thermobaric explosive fill using aluminum with the explosive mixture. When the warhead detonates, the aluminum mixture is dispersed and rapidly burns. While use of vacuum bombs remains legal under international law, their use has been criticized by human rights organizations as they have the potential to create unnecessary human suffering. Anyone in the facility is likely to die from internal organ damage. Manufactured by U.S. arms giant Lockheed Martin, the company boasts that over 21,000 units of the missile have been delivered to the U.S. Air Force and over 13 of Washington's internal partners, according, including the U.K. Coming in three configurations, Hellfires have been integrated on a variety of air platforms, including the Apache and Super Cobra attack copters, as well as the Predator and Reaper drones. They have also been added to turboprop fixed-winged aircraft, offering operators a cheaper platform to carry out counterinsurgency missions. <laughs> All right. Increased use by the RAF. <clears throat> the UK's use of thermobaric missiles was first reported in 2008 when the British military used Apache helicopters equipped with Hellfires to tackle Taliban insurgents in Afghanistan. News that troops were using such weapons caused a stir in Westminster, with the Times reporting that MOD weapons and legal experts spent 18 months debating whether British troops could use them without breaking international law. 
They settled on redefining the missiles as enhanced blast weapons in order to get around any potential legal wrangling. Since then, and until the request granted by the Freedom of Information, the military department has tried to avoid answering questions on their use of the thermobaric variant of the Hellfire. Admission of their use comes the same week as UK Defense Secretary Gavin Williamson admitted that a recent RAF airstrike resulted in civilian casualty in a ministerial statement. Williamson said the casualty crossed the strike area the last moment during a targeted strike in northeastern Syria, March 26, that killed three militants in the Islamic State. In recent months, the RAF has been upping its use of drone strikes in Syria in favor of his dedicated multi-role strike bomber, the Tornado. According to drone wars between January and March of this year, UK drones fired as many weapons in Syria as they have over the previous 18 months and is seeking further information on whether their use is increasing in favor of manned aircraft. Wow. Mm. Mm. Sometimes you just got to chew on some mulberries. They're really good. Okay, talk about the, the fun snort, snort. Woohoo! All right, we don't have the live jazz musicians playing yet in the background. We'll get there. Here we go from the Motley Fool investing. Scott's Miracle Grow moves further into marijuana with a $450 million deal. The company has snagged Sunlight Supply, a distributor of hydroponics products and related goods. It's from the 27th of April. 2018. The association will only deepen with the ambitious company's latest asset buy. Let's wander into the greenhouse to take a look at Scott's Miracle Grow's latest harvest. Scott's Miracle Grow recently signed an agreement to purchase Sunlight Supply. The privately held company is a distributor of gardening supplies, t- taking the number one slot in the segment of the U.S. hydroponics. Goods used to grow crops and water without soil. Hydroponics have been a popular means to grow cannabis for many years. Scott's Miracle Grow is paying a total of $450 million for sunlight supply, $425 million in cash, and the remainder in equity. When the deal closes, the sunlight supply will be folded into the new owner's Hawthorne Gardening Unit, the division that holds its hydroponic assets, as well as other goods associated with marijuana cultivation. The company said that Sunlight Supply and Hawthorne Gardening combined are expected to post an annualized sale of roughly $600 million. That's more than double the later unit's revenue figure for 2017. In the press release heralding the deal, Scotch Miracle Grow wrote that owning Sunlight Supply will give Hawthorne a fully vertical, integrated operational model 
that will ship directly to retailers provided unmatched capabilities in the industry. It added that the acquisition should make Hawthorne the preferred distributor for the majority of other manufacturers in this space. Scotts Miracle Grow is anticipated to take a one-time hit to earnings because of the acquisition, 30 to 40 cents per share on an adjusted basis in the current fiscal year. However, due to synergies between the two units, Sunlight Supply already sells a range of Hawthorne gardening products. Current company aims to save at least $35 million per year. This should help add 60 to 80 cents to adjusted earnings for the fiscal share of 2019. Prior to the Sunlight Supply deal, Scott's miracle Grow anticipated it would book adjusted earnings of $4.06 to $4.80 per share this fiscal year. The deal is subject to approval from the relevant regulators. Scott's miracle Grow expected it to close by the beginning of June. The company said the cash portion of the buy will be financed through an existing credit facility. This fool's take. The Sunlight Supply deal is a classic vertical integration move by Scott's miracle Grow. It's a logical expansion of the Hawthorne Grow business, added a muscular distribution arm to the unit. Scott's miracle Grow stock traded down a bit in the wake of the news, which in some degree is un- understandable. Earlier this year, the shares got chopped when the company released first quarter results that were disappointing even the modest expectations for the historically losing quarter. Among these disappointments was the performance of Hawthorne growth. Although its headline sales for the period increased by 20% on a year-over-year basis to almost $77 million. The jump was due to acquisitions. Perhaps investors are worried that the Hawthorne plant has reached full power, hence the scramble for sales lifting assets to avoid it. Don't think the concern is warranted. Hawthorne Scott's trade Miracle Grow is operating in an environment that is only tentatively opening up for its business. In spite of the great strides made lately in this country, marijuana cultivation use is still illegal at the federal level and ditto for many states in the union. Only a handful of states have legalized it for recreation as well as medical use. That's almost certain to change as local governments and hopefully the federal administration realize the tax revenue generating potential for this popular plant. With the eventual liberalization of the industry, the solid picks and shovels play like Scott's Miracle Grow should benefit accordingly. Hawthorne Grow quickly is becoming a critical part of this aspect of the company's business. That nearly $77 million in the first quarter sales compromised more than one-third of Scott's Miracle Grow's overall trade for that quarter. That's quite an advent for the division that was formed less than four years ago. By continuing to build it, the company is doing a good job positioning itself for a bright green future. Smoke News Radio. Weed smuggler Johnny Boone, the legendary godfather of grass, pleads guilty in federal court. John Robert Boone, the godfather of grass. State police eyed the plants from a helicopter, chopping over the green farmland of central Kentucky. Marijuana bushes packed into the farm wagon, sitting behind some roll bales of hay. On May 27, 2008, law enforcement immediately landed in the area for a closer look. 
they discovered a watering system pumping into the plant, as well as chained rottweilers protecting the property. A search warrant would later state, in two houses on the property, police collected other evidence pointing to an extensive weed growing operation, including $2,000, cash, and a loaded AR-15 assault rifle. In total, police confiscated 2,421 marijuana plants from the farm. Police records also indicate authorities knew exactly who they were dealing with. The farm was home to John Robert Boone, a legendary figure both in rural Kentucky and in the wider world of drug smuggling. Known as the Godfather of Grass, Boone was a leader in the 1980s of the Cornbread Mafia, a rural Kentucky-based drug organization that grew marijuana on 29 large illicit farms in 10 states. In June 1989, after 70 members of the crew were arrested, by federal authorities, the U.S. attorney in Louisville said the Cornbread Mafia was the largest domestic marijuana syndicate in American history. Boone served 20 years in prison for his part in the 80s organization. The 2008 discovery of the farm seemed to indicate he was back in the drug game. He began searching the country drug pin, an imposing man with Santa Claus beard no matter, the Italian coat of science tattooed across his back, disappeared. He would remain on the lam until last year when Boone was arrested in Canada. This week, the 73-year-old Boone pleaded guilty to a single count of conspiring to grow and distribute and distribute more than 1,000 marijuana plants. Court records show it is presumably the end of a drug career powered by the stereotypical lust for a flashy lifestyle or power, but simple economics. Boone has always maintained he was just trying to put food on the table. But Boone and Cornbread Mafia were the products of a particular time and place. Washington and Marion counties in Kentucky are insular and also have a strong outlaw tradition stretching back to prohibition. When desperate locals turn to moonshining to feed their families, in the 1980s, a bad economy again put a chokehold on the region. The family farm was crumbling, not just one farm or another. The notion upon which many in Marion County and elsewhere in America had staked their livelihood for generations. James Hagen wrote in his book, Cornbread Mafia, a homegrown syndicate, code of silence, and the biggest marijuana bust in American history. At the same time, the free market eroded Marion County's primary crop, burley tobacco, from both ends. Uses among American adults started to decline as tobacco companies began buying burley from international markets for pennies on the dollar for what it cost them at home. In 1985, the unemployment rate in the region was 18%. The scarcity of jobs put pressure on a younger generation of locals who were familiar with weed. A lot of people were struggling. Joe Keith Pickett, a cornbread mafia member, told the Lebanon Enterprise in 2016, interest rates were high and the Vietnam veterans were just coming home from the war and they brought with them a lot of stories. And they were some of the first ones to bring marijuana to the area in Marion County. 
Boone was born and raised in Washington County, the grandson to the former Prohibition bootlegger. According to Higgins' book, he was a championship 4-H sheep breeder with tobacco grower in high school and had plans to attend college after graduation. Instead, he started farming in the region and eventually started growing weed. Boone's strain became so popular, High Times Magazine dubbed it Kentucky Bluegrass. To me, calling it Kentucky Bluegrass sounded a little too much hillbilly, Boone Crib, to Hidgen in his book. The Cornbread Mafia outlet began expanding beyond Kentucky. Boone and his associates set up farms in nine other states, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Michigan, Nebraska, Missouri, Kansas, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. <coughs> oh, yeah. You think cold weather, short summer, you wouldn't think that's a good place to plant tropical pot. There would be a few plants that won't mature by October, November up there in Minnesota, but the majority of them would make kick-ass pot, Boone explained to Hidgen. In the group's height, their fields were patrolled by Rottweilers with surgically removed vocal cords so they could creep up silently on potential thieves. The Louisville Quarrel Journal reported, the crew also booby-trapped their crops with fish hooks strung up at eye level, dynamite tied to trip wires and live rattlesnakes. The paper reporter Boone and others developed a loyal following back home, funneling their illicit earnings into projects like outfitting county schools with air conditioners. He was the player, a formal federal prosecutor told the Associated Press in 2010. There might have been one or two close to him. I never heard of anyone who was bigger. In October 87, the operation began to crumble. Minnesota police spotted the crew's 355-acre farm in a flyover operation, prompting a raid on the marijuana farm. As law enforcement swarmed the site, Boone led three police cars on a chase, hoping to give his cohorts the opportunity to escape. He was eventually caught. When police asked his name, he said, Charles Grass. Police confiscated 47 tons of marijuana from the site. Police confiscated 47 tons of marijuana from the site. Boone pleaded guilty to federal drug charges. At his sentencing, the Corbett Mafia boss defended Cruz's actions. We were from a poor place. I don't think anybody here is into any kind of thievery. I can only say that. In our area, marijuana is one of the things that help us put bread on the table for the people, he told the judge, according to the Courier Jr. We're not criminals. We're not. We're not kind of people who go out and harm people. Seventy other Kentuckians were arrested for the roles in the cornbread mafia. None cooperated with prosecutors for lighter sentences. Boone was sentenced to 20 years in prison. He was released in 2000. Eight years later, police raided his farm in Washington County, prompting the aging drug smother to go on the run. Passing years had not diminished the loyalty locals in Washington, Marion County's Delta Boone. They were very honest, a local investigator explained to Courier Jerry. They said they wouldn't tell where he was, even if they knew. He was eventually arrested last December in Montreal after pleading guilty this week. His sentencing has been scheduled for March. 2018. Smoke News Radio. Man 81 with mafia ties arrested in Wyoming on marijuana charges. 
Cheyenne, Wyoming, 81-year-old man who was convicted in the 1970s killing of a nephew of notorious Bob boss, Carlo Gambino, has been arrested in Wyoming on drug charges. Henry Center of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, was pulled over Sunday on Interstate 80 in southwest Wyoming by a state trooper for speeding. Charging documents say about 35 pounds of marijuana was found in Centner's vehicle. District Attorney Jeremiah Sandberg said Centner's colorful past includes a 15-year prison sentence for the 72 killing of Emmanuel Gambino. In the time that I've both lived here in my district attorney, this is kind of unique to have somebody this season, as it were, to still be engaged in this conduct at his age. Sandberg said in an interview, Sittner is charged with possession of marijuana with intent to deliver felony marijuana possession and speeding. Sittner is released Wednesday after posting $3,000 cash bail. His appointed state public defender was out of the office Wednesday and not available for comment. Circuit Judge Thomas Lee on Wednesday scheduled Sentner's next court hearing for October 6th and set terms for his bond. I'll be there, Sentner, who appeared via video link from the county jail, said thank you. Sentner's arrest first reported by the Wyoming Tribune happened after he was stopped about 12 p.m. Sunday in a rental car for exceeding speed limit by 10 miles. According to police affidavit, the trooper found implausible the story center relayed about his trip across country from California. I observed repeated deceptive behavioral responses in response to simple questions the officer wrote. In addition to, in addition, a check of Sentner's criminal history resulted in extensive felony behavior, according to Afton. According to the New York Times stories published in the early 70s, Sentners told federal authorities that he accidentally killed Gambino in May 72 with a gunshot to the head in a deserted area in New Jersey. The shooting stemmed from an apparent quarrel over gambling debts then led to the attempt by Sentner and two others to extort money from Gambino's wife. Gambino's body was eventually recovered from a shallow grave months later. In 74, there was a report that Sittner had been hospitalized after being given coca laced with strychnine while he was federally detentioned for questioning in another case. Reports from Sittner's sentence noted that his attorney voiced fear of mob vengeance against Sittner and requested that Sittner serve his sentence at a prison in Alabama. Sandberg said he has no information about how many years Sittner was in prison and he doubted that there were any parole conditions still in effect for Sentner stemming from the Gambino killing. And there's been no indication of any current mob connection involving Sentner. And the U.S. Attorney's Office in Wyoming had no information about Sentner's last run-in with the law. <laughs> last time he had 35 pounds in his trunk. NASA is launching a spacecraft to Mars from Vandenberg Air Force Base. NASA is heading back to Mars. The InSight spacecraft is scheduled to rocket away from Vandenberg Air Force Base early Saturday morning. Vandenberg Air Force Base, California, AABC. NASA is heading back to Mars. The InSight spacecraft is scheduled for rocket away from Vandenberg Air Force Base early Saturday morning. This could be a great show for Southern California residents. It's the first ever mission to Mars launched from the West Coast. If you're willing to get up early, you could have a front row seat and witness the rocket soaring overhead. 
when it takes off, it's going to go straight south, right by Los Angeles. You know, millions of people, please get up and watch this beautiful launch. It'll be early, like 4.05 in the morning, said Jim Green with NASA. If everything goes according to plan, the Mars InSight lander should touch down in the red planet in about six months. The journey is about 301 million miles, according to NASA. We arrive the Monday after Thanksgiving at Mars, so on Cyber Monday, InSight will be a touchdown on the surface of Mars. So you can have your shopping on one screen and our landing on the other screen, said NASA official. InSight's probe is designed to study seismic activity on Mars and measure Mars quakes. This information can help us understand earthquakes here on Earth. We use seismology to take the pulse of Mars. We have a heat flow probe that's going to measure its temperature. And we also do geodesy to see how Mars wobbles as it spins around on its axis. The official added, when the launch window opens at 4.05 a.m. Saturday, it will last for two hours, meaning the launch can take place any time during that period. The 1 billion U.S. European mission is the first dedicated to studying the innards of Mars. By probing Mars inside, scientists hope to better understand the red planet. Any rocky planet, including our own, formed 4.5 billion years ago. In addition, first for the mission, a pair of briefcase-sized satellites will launch aboard InSight, break free after liftoff, then follow the spacecraft for six months all the way to Mars. They won't stop at Mars, just fly past. The point is to test two cube sites as a potential communication leak with InSight as it descends the red planet on November 26. These Mars-bound cubes are nicknamed Wally and Eve after the animated movie characters. That's because they're equipped with the same type of propulsion used in fire extinguishers to expel foam. In the 2008 movie Wally, Wally used a fire extinguisher to propel through space. NASA is set to launch two small satellites named after the beloved main characters from the 2008 Pixar film Wally. Smoke News Radio How Anti Mafia Laws Could Bring Down Legal Pot. RICO laws were written to combat organized crime kingpins, but now they're being used against state legal marijuana businesses. Circuit Court ruling could provide a roadmap for people who hate marijuana to initiate the collapse of legal weed in America. Solomon Banda. Most people have strong feelings about marijuana's distinctive dank odor. Suspicious landlords sniff it. High school hot boxers roll down all the windows in the cars and drive around for hours trying to get rid of it. Mainstream candle and soap companies seek to recreate it for high-end, non-psychoactive mood settings. And now it's quietly becoming clear that the powerful smell of legal cannabis could become its ultimate undoing. The thing that causes entire legalization experiments to disappear in a puff of smoke. Earlier this summer, the 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Colorado decided that the noxious odors from a pot farm could be lowering nearby property values and creating a nuisance. The decision came out of a civil suit by the farm's neighbors under federal racketeering law. It could set a landmark precedent. 
that marijuana remains illegal under federal law. And this decision makes clear that private citizens can now circumvent state law and do what Attorney General Sefcich wants, but has yet to do. Challenge the legitimacy of states and businesses participating in legalization. Next year, the suit will go back to district court. And unless other appeals courts issue contradictory rulings and the Supreme Court decides to take up the case, the Tenth Circuit decision will stand, providing a roadmap for people who hate marijuana to initiate the collapse of legal weed in America. Everything about the case is important, from its far-reaching implications to the mysterious, well-funded organization behind it. But before we get into the details, the key thing to realize here is this neighborly dispute is a microcosm for what's wrong with America's tangled marijuana policy. The commercialization of cannabis has had real consequences for people in places that want no involvement with the drug. Attempting, as we have, to cordon off the states and businesses and entrepreneurs, the government agencies that interact with pot is delusional. Legal weed cannot, cannot be neatly contained. Markets and odors don't work that way. Neighbors know this. Interstate pot traffickers know this. Attorney General Jeff Sessions knows this. The question is, when will we change federal law to, re- to reflect reality? According to legal filings, the offensive smell problem in Colorado began when some licensed marijuana growers decided to shut up the shop next to a residential development known as Meadows at Legacy Ranch, described as 105 acres of beautiful rolling pasture with sweeping mountain vistas. Hope and Michael Riley own three lots there, which they sometimes come to on weekends with their children to ride horses, hike, and visit with friends. Now, however, the stench of pot is ruining their fun and possibly the value of their land. The Rileys never would have been able to mount a legal challenge like this on their own. The whole thing has been paid for by the D.C.-based nonprofit called Safe Streets Alliance, an obscure anti-drug organization that is opposing sides lawyer has called a fake organism and a sham. No one knows who exactly belongs to the Safe Streets Alliance or where their money comes from. The attorney representing Safe Streets Alliance, Brian Barnes, says he can't provide any detail about the group's funding and membership, citing attorney-client confidentiality, but denied the organization was fake. Those affiliated with the group have legitimate public health and cultural concerns about legalization, he says, and don't think the state should have allowed to so flagrantly violate federal law. The goal was ultimately to set a precedent that is a thing that can be done, and there are consequences for people in the marijuana business. Barnes said, after searching local news coverage for what he called right plaintiffs, Safe Streets Alliance decided to support two angry property owners adjacent posed marijuana businesses, the Rileys and a Holiday Inn. The Holiday Inn suit settled at the end of 2015 for $70,000 and the marijuana business shut down. 
Both lawsuits involved a broadly worded racketeer-influenced and corrupt organizations act, commonly referred to as RICO. Since 1970, RICO has helped the Department of Justice go after top people in the mafia, say in a bribe-infested soccer organization, FIFA, for crimes committed by their affiliates. RICO also allows private citizens to bring civil suits against anyone who assists in the committing of a crime that harms their property or business. RICO's whole notion of racketeering creates a useful but alarming tautology. Depending on the case and your point of view, to accuse someone of racketeering or to seek damages under racketeering is to go after them for a crime of committing a crime. Because, of mar- because marijuana remains federally illegal, literally everyone involved in state legal pot markets is vulnerable under RICO. RICO laws were written to go after the kingpins of the mafia underworld, but now they're being used against pot farmers. For the investors, to the bud tenders, to the utility companies providing dispensary with electricity, a ridiculous number of people could be said to be part of a conspiracy to commit a federal offense. The Riley Sioux even initially named Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper as a defendant for his part in implementing the 2012 voter initiative legalizing recreational marijuana in the state. Another federal judge removed Hickenlooper and other government representatives and agencies from the suit in 16, saying political officials are not subject to RICO claims. Therefore, this 10th Circuit ruling could be a game changer. With neighborhoods everywhere empowered to file civil RICO suits against licensed marijuana operators, legal weeds opponents wouldn't even need the support of Attorney General Sessions to initiate a widespread crackdown. Almost immediately, the 10th Circuit ruling in the end of June, a second plate of an organized Oregon launched another major suit under RICO, complaining about the unmistakable skunk-like stench of marijuana. Just hope the defense get really good lawyers, says one attorney, because this could have an effect on the entire industry. A handful of marijuana, I'm sorry, a handful of major RICO lawsuits could be enough to scare many legal cannabis operators out of existence not to mention the potential financial consequences, RICO plaintiffs are entitled to receive triple damages as well as attorney's fees. Things like this sort take on a life of their own, and somebody who is obviously anti-cannabis has decided to push it. They think that this is Achilles' heel, said influential California attorney Henry Wachowski, who has argued on behalf of cannabis operators in federal court several times. Mm-hmm. It is scary stuff. I just hope that defendants get really good lawyers because this could have an effect on the industry. Some attorneys have argued that legal pop businesses can protect themselves from RICO claims by installing really good HVAC systems and operating as clandestinely as possible. But asking cannabis businesses to seal themselves off from the rest of the world is not the answer. 
This is the heart of the Obama era's flawed pot policy, allowing certain states to regulate the commercial sale of marijuana without a change in federal law. Attorney General Jeff Sessions knows the conflict between federal and state law is untenable and recently sent threatening letters to the governments of states with illegal pot. But Sessions hardly has the support of President Trump, let alone the manpower and political will to take on the multi-billion dollar legal marijuana industry and the rich white men who now control it. A proliferation of civil RICO suits could have provided legal weeds opponents with a viable alternative. A senior legal fellow of the Conservative Heritage Foundation even mentioned RICO suits in a February blog post outlining suggestions for how the Trump administration might bring down cannabis markets. There is little indication that the Supreme Court will want to overrule the Tenth Circuit on this, Most people in Washington, D.C. are reluctant to put their name on anything pot-related, preferring to wait and see how state legal cannabis plays out before weighing in. Last year, the Supreme Court declined to hear a case brought by Oklahoma and Nebraska challenging recreational pot in Colorado for increasing the flow of marijuana to their black markets. And so, until Congress is able to override sessions and legalize cannabis on a federal level, era of legal weeds in America could be over before we know it. Keep that salt content up. Smoke News Radio, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Tesla drivers told not to take their hands off the wheel. President Ed King told the newspaper, until we have fully driverless cars, we cannot have people going out on their own and experimenting. We have to watch how the technology will be used. We are not at the stage where drivers should be taking their hands off the wheel. The rules will be tightened under government plans to prevent collisions caused by careless use of modern state-of-the-art vehicles. Ministers are also planning to update their highway code to reflect technological developments such as remote control parking with a key fob, it is reported. Incorporating lane steering, the proposed new rules say, do not rely on driver assistance systems such as motorway assist lane departure warnings, or remote control parking. They are available to assist, but you should not reduce your concentration levels. Do not be distracted by maps or on-screen based information while driving or riding. If necessary, find a safe place to stop. If you're using advanced driver assistance systems like motorway or traffic jam assist or remote control parking application device, then you as a driver are still responsible for the vehicle and must exercise full control over these systems at all times. Smoke News Radio. 
Amnesty for drug dealers? This Mexico presidential candidate is pushing for forgiveness. By Daniel Argan, USA Today. May 4th. Mexico City, the front runner of Mexico's upcoming presidential election, wants to give amnesty to anyone involved with illegal drugs, from the dealers to the peasant farmers growing opium poppies. Leftist Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, who leads in recent polls by double digits ahead of the July 1st vote, offered the controversial proposal as a way to combat the drug cartels as they fight over territory and the production of heroin and methamphetamines. The idea of forgiving those involved in illegal drug business is stoked among emotions in Mexico, where decade-long drug wars claim more than 200,000 lives in violence has increasingly crept into the corners of the country, previously considered placid. Mexico experienced its most murderous year in record in 2017 with 29,158 homicides reported. The monthly homicide rate has raised even higher in 2018. Amnesty proponents call for a change in security strategy, arguing that sending soldiers into the streets to comfort the drug cartels isn't working, especially against claims of human rights abuses by the army and corrupt police. You can't put out a fire with fire, Lopez Obrador said at the first candidate's debate on April 22nd. His proposed amnesty is still ill-defined, allowing opponents to denounce it as dangerous and akin to a deal with the devil. What Mexico needs is more of a state presence to defend Mexicans against insecurity, tweeted former First Lady Margarita Zavala, who is running as an independent in the field of five candidates. An amnesty or ignoring the problem are not the solution to the country's violence. The other presidential hopefuls support proposing plans like improving intelligence, properly training place, and going after the cartel's cash. Jamie Rodriguez, the cowboy governor candidate known as El Bronco, has a low standing in the polls, but his campaign in favor of chopping off the hands of thieves, bringing back the death penalty, and opening militarized high schools. The poll published Wednesday by Reforma newspaper showed Lopez Obrador of Morena Party with 48% support, while Ricardo Anaya, a left-wing coalition, was second at 30%. Jose Antonio Meade of the ruling Institutional Revolutionary Party was third at 17% amid PRI's corruption scandals and public discontent with rising crime. Lopez Obrador's opponents have attacked him as a dangerous pulpist and denounced the idea of amnesty seemingly more they campaign on their own promises to combat crime and corruption. There's not much strategy with Lopez Obrador, and there's also not much of a plan. It's just that he has a wider gamut of options than the others are willing to entertain, said Frederico Estevez a political science professor at Autonomous Technological Institute of Mexico, they attack him on it because it's easy. Lopez Obrador claimed he can calm Mexico in three years and would convene forums with experts and spiritual leaders, including Pope Francis, to solve Mexico's security crisis. He also talked about tackling the root causes of violence, such as poverty. Supporting 
for amnesty appears weak, with 73% of Mexicans opposed to it, according to the poll in El Finero newspaper. Still, some security analysts giving an exit to low-level workers in drug cartels, such as the Army of Spies on street corners known as Halcones and the Campesinos who grow opium poppies and marijuana to make ends meet. Thousands of people pass through our penal system whose only main fault is being young and poor, having tattoos, and having dark skin. Tweeted Katina Perez-Cora, professor at the Center of Research and Teaching Economics in Mexico City. Amnesty is a good start in repairing the social damage, but the underlying problems must be resolved, too. Edgar Buscalino, senior scholar in law economics at Columbia University, said other countries have successfully offered similar amnesties, but he said Mexico would need to make major changes for that to work. Clean out the political class accused of corruption, overhaul the justice system, and establish truth commissions. The logistical structure of the cartels didn't allow them to give amnesty without a social process to legitimize it. Buscalari said, if you start a process of amnesties with mobsters, the amnesty process will be tainted. People will see it as a mafia pact, and it will collapse. President Enrique Peña Nieto, who is ineligible to run for a second term under Mexico's constitution, was elected in 12 by promising to combat crimes affecting ordinary Mexicans, such as kidnapping and extortion. Instead, he focused on economic changes, such as opening the state-controlled oil industry and improving Mexico's image with investors, by tapping down talk on violence. He thought problems would be able to fix themselves if they weren't spoken about, said Lillian Chauvin Koldov, editor of security blog at Nexus uh, Mexican Magazine. Some victims criticized the notion of amnesty, saying it would only promote more drug violence. There can't be forgiveness, says Jose Diaz Navarro, president of a collective of 100 families who lost loved ones to drug violence in the center of Chiapa, a hub for transporting heroin. Impunity is generating more violence. It's generating more crime. It's generating conditions we can't live with anymore. Smoke News Radio. Rat poison laced synthetic weed has spread to Florida. An eighth state is now experiencing severe bleeding and other injuries. Rat poison laced synthetic weed has spread to Florida. And at least one man has died from exposure to the toxin. Florida is now the eighth state reporting cases of medical emergencies caused by tainted synthetic cannabis. According to Hillsborough County Medical Examiner Carlos Pimentel, Bonaro, 37, died on March 26th when the medical examiner performed an autopsy. Toxicological tests revealed the presence of bradyfacum. Local media reports the tests also found THC and the synthetic cannabinoid 5-FADB in Pimentel Bonamo's system. Hillsborough County health officials have also reported at least two injuries from tainted synthetic pot. And statewide, Florida has seen at least five more cases. State officials are warning Floridians not to use synthetic cannabis because of the poisonings. They also are urging anyone who suspects they may have been exposed to seek 
emergency medical attention immediately. Poison causes severe bleeding can lead to death. Rat poison and other pesticides contain bradifacum as one of its main ingredients. The chemical blocks the effect of vitamin K, a nutrient essential for blood coagulation. Exposure to the poison can cause uncontrolled bleeding and unexplained bruising. Symptoms begin 2 to 26 days after exposure to the toxin. Officials have begun referring to the malady as synthetic cannabinoid-associated coagulopathy. Clinical symptoms include abnormal bruising, bleeding from the eyes, gums, and ears, Patients have also reported excessive menstrual bleeding, vomiting, blood, and blood in urine or stool. Doctors treat the condition with high doses of vitamin K over a long period of time, sometimes months according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Just two weeks of treatment can cost as much as eight grand for vitamin K. Other states are reporting the same problem. The CDC has reported nearly 200 cases of bradifacum poisoning caused by synthetic cannabis. The poison has killed at least four others, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Maryland, Missouri, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Florida, and Wisconsin, now all reported cases. Last month, law enforcement officers took three Illinois men into custody for selling tainted synthetic marijuana. Federal agents arrested the men at King Mini Mart Community Store in Chicago's west side. According to media reports, the men had allegedly sold packets of spice to undercover officers posing as customers. Law enforcement subsequently arrested Furan Mossad, 48, Jad Allah, 44, and Adil Khan Mohammed, 44. Mossad had $280,000 in cash in his possession when police arrested him. The store had ordered for sale several different brands of fake pot before their arrest. The synthetic cannabinoids were packaged in sealed containers and labeled with such names of, as Matrix, Blue Giant, and Crazy Monkey, federal agents said. The agents also said that the spice they had seized was dangerously tainted. Preliminary testing of some of the cannabinoids purchased by the undercover officer revealed a detectable amount of bradifacum, a toxic substance frequently used in rat poison. As of May 2nd, the Illinois Department of Public Health has reported a total of 159 cases of bradifacum poisoning in 15 counties. The IDPH also reports that synthetic cannabis contaminated with the deadly substance has caused four deaths in the state. All right, Smoke News Radio. Okay, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but the, the AB1996 California Cannabis Research Program. Okay, find this on the, uh, you know, business professional codes. You know, health safety, state commissions, naturally occurring cannabinoids, 
program shall develop and conduct studies intended to ascertain the general medical safety and efficacy of cannabis found valuable shall develop medical guidelines for the appropriate administration and use of cannabis. Guidelines will tell you how to use it. It may solicit proposals. I mean, if you have a, a testing proposal, they may take it. They're going to analyze data, research cannabis. They're going to see if it helps with AIDS, HIV, cancer, glaucoma, seizures, you know, just the basic run-of-the-mill. Specimen laboratory capable of housing plasma, like Guys want to put so many rules and regulations up on there. Now they want to use the University of California and also analyze synthetic cannabinoids as well as storage of specimens. I mean, some of that stuff you get in there. But to make any synthetic thing for cannabis, that's bad. As you can see, National Drug Abuse Enhanced understanding of the efficacy and adverse effects of cannabis as a pharmacological agent. Program shall conduct focused, controlled clinical trials on the usefulness of cannabis in patients diagnosed with AIDS or HIV, cancer, glaucoma, seizures, or muscle spasms associated with chronic debilitating condition. They want to test it. You know, everything they want to test, test, test. We've got to test it. Dang. All right. There you go. Smoke News Radio. Like reading straight bills. Straight bills are not always that exciting. Well, hey, I, I appreciate you all coming out here tonight. It's been pretty fun. Got to read you some news and uh, made it made it through. Good old time. It's Sunday. No, it's Monday. <laughs> it was Sunday when I started. Now it's Monday. You guys rock and roll out there. Catch you soon. This is Smoke News Radio. Oh, and some kind of tag saying or something. I don't know. At some point. All right. Have a good day.